Okay, and I think we are live and we are ready to go. Okay, so uh, hello everyone who might be listening, professor, classmates, etc. cetera. Uh, my name is David Baltiera and I'm here with my co-host. Uh, hi everyone, my name is uh, Ming Chen Ma. And um, hello, David. Uh, hi, uh, what are the topics you want to bring up for today? Well, I thought for today, you know, we could go ahead and kind of give like a brief overview of, you know, each of our projects, kind of go, mm -hmm. kind of go back and forth about each of them, and mm -hmm. then sort of look at the points in which both of our projects tie into the big narrative of sort of the, the enemies of the labor movement and of mm -hmm. the UW. Yeah. So, okay. So for me, my particular project was focusing on a part of the international movement for the United Farm Workers, specifically when they were reaching out to dock workers uh, internationally. Uh, most of what I've been researching and most of what I've been talking about has come from uh, a, a report by Matt Garcia from Arizona State University, uh, specifically his chapter titled A Movable Feast, the UFW Great Boycott and Farm Worker Justice. Uh, and through using that and some various other sources, I have some like newspaper clippings from the New York Times, a small uh, UFW magazine uh, called El Malcriado, um, mm -hmm. which actually reported on uh, the, the, the kind of kinship that the UFW movement had with uh, some of the uh, workers' movements in, uh, the, in Britain. And so okay. most of my reporting has been done on uh, that. How about, okay. how about you, Ming? What are you going to be looking at? Oh, uh, my topic is also about uh, one of some of the struggles the UFW is facing in their past movement and uh, the struggle of the Latino social movement, I found out is between uh, the UFW and the, another union group called the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, which typically we think about the unions are supposed to represent the right of the workers. However, in this case, they fight against each other and the literary fight means violence against, and well, the violence from the Teamster against the UFW peaceful protesters. And my project aimed to reveal this part of history that is, seems to be silenced from the past and for people to better understand what had happened and what kind of struggle uh, the UFW is facing for promoting this social movement. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting uh, the ways in which mm -hmm. the the United Labor Movement apparently was not uh, a singular thing, and in fact was kind of a fractured, siding and against each other at various points. Like uh, like you mentioned, the Teamsters specifically, mm -hmm. they also come mm -hmm. up in uh, what I'm reporting. Uh, where it talks about the UK labor movements actually are going against the local Teamsters bosses, uh, kind of thinking that they should keep out of it. Oh, wow. What yeah. a coincidence, right? <laughs> I know. And, it's, uh, yeah. it's something that kind of pops up a lot. Yeah. So initially, when I tried to dig into this uh, problem, I was thinking that perhaps the Teamsters represent another group of workers that probably their right is viola violated by maybe the protest, protest of the UFW. But when I dig into that, I found out none of those evidence showed that. 
And I think uh, all of the evidence are pointing towards uh, the secret contracts between the growers and the teamsters, and they are all about money. And I don't know what, what part you found out in your project. I mean, honestly, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff where it comes down to money. It comes mm -hmm. down to, you know, these teamsters, organizations who are, you know, in, in structure, more or less identical to the, the UFW, the United Farm Workers Movement, but they are disagreeing with the UFW through their use of the boycott, mm -hmm. which, uh, which, you know, is surprising. And, you know, the Teamsters, who I believe are like one of the largest uh, unions in the world, uh, yeah. histor historically have had some, uh, some dubious connections in terms of their relationship to uh, to the industries they seem to be organizing against. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, you know, I don't know how too familiar you are with this, but like in the 60s and the 70s, um, part of the, the reason why, you know, unions sort of lost their, uh, their respectability in the eyes of the American mm -hmm. public was yeah, that yeah. it turns out that a lot of the, the union bosses were more or less in cahoots with organized crime. Yes, uh, uh, this US. is, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to point out that you are right because uh, one of the goal of my project is also kind of like to revealing some of the factors that may be behind the declining of the union, why they are not as functional as they used to be and why people not joining union anymore. And uh, what are the problems? I think this is perhaps one of the main problems behind it. What do you think? I think it definitely is. It, it, it's, you know, you have these, it, it's almost like a kind of opposition that's controlled by what would be like these corporate figures that seem to be, you know, they're antithetical to the, the labor movement, uh, but are mm -hmm. in a sense kind of creating their own labor movement to work against it. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of putting up like this, you know, you could argue it's a kind of like puppet front yeah. uh, against places uh, in the UK or against the UFW when yeah. it's sort of, instead of rec recognizing the struggle of all these, these laborers and workers as a whole, it's more like, mm -hmm. no, we're supporting our stuff, but we don't, we don't want it to, we don't want to support yours because it's going to infringe yeah. on our stuff. And I think one thing is also very interesting is that um, you have been told me that you have family members that are in some of these unions, right? Yeah, actually, um, my dad. Yeah, and I would believe they have no idea and no clue what had happened to this union in their past history, correct? Uh, he, I think he's aware of it because my, my, oh, my dad, he's like, a, yeah, okay. he, I think he's almost 60. So oh, he's, oh. Been a, he's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think it, it's bothered him too much because mm -hmm. uh, even though, you know, the Teamsters, at least back in the day, did sort of have like a dubious connection. Yeah, um, yeah. They still are a union, and at least for him, they've gotten him, him some good benefits. Uh, you know, yeah, for his right. working. So I, I suppose it doesn't yeah. bother him too much. No, I'm not saying this union is necessarily a bad union. I'm just saying that, like, when I browsing through the official website of the Teamsters, they won't include this part of history on their website, right? <laughs> no, they do not. No, they do not. Yeah, yeah. I think this is also why our part of the project had to reveal some of this history that is clearly being silenced. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. certain narratives that people don't want to be made public or not. Yeah. And are there other like things 
that you you see like interesting you want to share about? Um, I think for my project in particular, which has like a main focus on the international dock workers organizations and kind of mm -hmm. their role in helping the UFW. Um, I think it really is a sort of under uh, appreciated point of how important it was to actually have these unions on mm -hmm. the UFW side in order to have it succeed. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, this came at a crucial time during the boycott where a lot of the like main producers of grapes were looking towards uh, Europe basically to like supplement their income. They're like, okay, we can't, we can't sell grapes, table grapes at least to, you know, consumers in the US because they're too, they're very aware of the boycott. So we're going to yeah. try and do this to Europe. Mm -hmm. And so you have people like, uh, you know, Elaine Ellison, who was working with like Dolores Huerta and mm -hmm. was under purview of like Cesar Chavez, who she was kind of stationed out in the UK and acted as this kind of mediator between uh, the UFW and the, the British Union, which uh, at the time was called the Transport yeah. and General Workers Union, uh, TGWO, basically mm -hmm. to kind of block uh, the, the table grapes from getting offloaded the ships or offloaded yeah. out of the ports. Yeah, good point. I think the point you are pointing out is like uh, saying that there are also unions that helping the UFW to promote this social right movement, correct? Yeah, there are. And that is also the key reason why it, it can be successful. And I also found something that's uh, I think is pretty interesting and I would like to share. Yeah, like go ahead. Uh, there's a man called George Manning, and he's the leader of uh, a group called AFL-CIO. It's a long name, but its whole name is American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations. It's a large organization that made up by 56 national and international unions and representing over 12 million active or retired workers up until today. And back in the 1950s, he launched a campaign against corrupt unions within his organization. And one of them is the Teamsters. And he actually had to expel the Teamsters from his organization because he found corruption and the influence of organized crime behind the Teamsters. And he appeared on the ABC News and calling the Teamsters as the strike breakers. And I think, hello? Oh no, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just want to point that out. It's, it's just a little kind of a background history I can find like about the Teamsters and about this whole event things. And uh, I think the, the organized crime he's talking about, I, he, he didn't provide any information about that uh, in the 1950s, but when we going through the events in the 1970s, we can see that Teamsters being like they paid a thousand over uh, workers with uh, a daily wage of $67.5. And the, those workers are usually the truckers and the warehousemen. They usually uh, have an average six foot high and 200 pounds heavy. And they have weapon, uh, knives, gums, and clubs those things and they were used violence against uh, the peaceful UFW 
protesters and they attacked them. And, uh, and then more of that, uh, I found uh, one of the teamsters, uh, like uh, one of the uh, UFW documents uh, that's a primary source giving out a timeline saying that in 1973, June 21st, two teamsters were arrested because they attempt to kidnap and try to murder one of the farm, farm workers that's going to strike. And some other teamsters being arrested because they attacked Chavez's car comrade. And some of them also trying to point gun to the protesters and threaten to kill them. So I think this is clearly some of the evidence about it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty crazy, honestly, mm -hmm. to see these kind of two different groups of what are essentially organized labor kind of working against each other. Mm -hmm. um, as in your investigation, did you come across like the, the underlying reason as to why the Teamsters didn't want to support the UFW? Oh, uh, actually, this is the part of the challenge of my project, I think, because this is, it is very difficult to find the perspective from the Teamster, because, I mean, uh, we would suggest that's all about money, but you would believe that none of them can just say that out, right? Mm -hmm. So the, I think this is one of the problem, and I think this is also like kind of reason I want to uh, do my project. I just want to present those materials and informations to the people, and perhaps there will be people after me. They will want to uh, dig deeper into this problem, and they perhaps want to interview more people from perhaps the Tinkster side, or perhaps the president, former president of the Teamster and get a more comprehensive like uh, opinion or point of view towards this single event. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me, you know, in my brief uh, research on that particular issue, mm -hmm. it seems to be a means of kind of fighting over who has like the power to control like a particular region in a sense, oh, whereas, yeah, yeah. you know, like the, the, the UFW mm -hmm. uh, trying to represent these like underrepresented groups of, you know, uh, Latinos, uh, Filipinos, yeah. of, you know, migrant workers. Um, mm -hmm. And then once they start, you know, making progress and getting more heavily organized then the, the Teamsters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wants to step in and say, no, no, this is our territory. You know, if you, yeah. you want to organize, you have to work with us. Yeah. So I just want to point out, like, um, they are not hiring like dozens of workers. They are hiring over a thousand workers for sixty-seven point five dollar a day. That's sixty-seven thousand dollars a day of expense on just hiring people to attack the the farmers. And you you have to you have to know that like the farmers are trying to protest because they want to get paid for a dollar. 40 cents an hour's wage. And then you know how much money is being put into trying to break the stripes. And you can only imagine like how much, like why are they are doing that for paying so much money if there aren't uh, like more of the corporate coming after that. Yeah, it, it makes you think about, you know, what underlying factors are playing into these decisions 
Uh, yeah. Between these, what are supposed to be, you know, more or less like the same group. Mm -hmm. And I think you are right. Uh, that's about the control of our territory. I think the one of the same between the teamsters and the grower is that they are signing contract between each other. And the teamsters saying we are representing those farm workers. And those farm workers works for the teamsters. And they are trying to force, repre force represent those people. And I, I would imagine like maybe by doing that, the money goes to the Teamsters instead of the, I think maybe the UFW, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, I would believe there will be benefits from taking control of the workers. What do you, what would you think? Uh, I definitely think there would have been benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, just mm -hmm. in terms of like you know manpower and and mass appeal, yeah. But uh, you know it is it is impressive nonetheless that the UFW was able to essentially you know fight on two fronts, both against you know the growers who they were yeah. trying to you know get concessions from, and then this other this other labor union who is not helping mm -hmm. and in fact seems to be working with the growers. Mm -hmm. I think what what the what the only thing that the the farmworks can do is just to boycott and to protest and refuse to show up in the field and walk for the contract that is not representing them. And those cause problems for the growers as they sign contracts to the teamsters that promise them for like 700 workers on the field working for them, but only like a hundred workers showed up in the field. Yeah. And that, that is causing the problem. And I think that is the key reason why the UFW can win in the end, because they represent the work, they represent the farmers and the Teamsters do not. Yeah, they're representing the people who are, you know, most directly affected by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think it's going pretty well. And uh, uh, is there anything else you would like to add to our conversation? Yeah. Um... Uh, for you, have you found the the research process easy, difficult? You know, has it has it been relatively open? Uh, the sources that you're looking for, or do you, did you really have to dig for this? Um, I would say it's both. It's it's pretty easy to find the documents from the perspective of the UFW because they have loads of primarily documents about all this history between the Teamsters and the UFW. But it's, it is difficult to find any perspective from the Teamsters side because there just aren't any. So that, that's yeah. the challenge I have when, when I'm trying to find the sources. Yeah, I wonder if it has to, has to do with the fact that like the UFW mm -hmm. is not in quite the same sort of, well, I, I, it, you know, it's, it's a lot, uh, smaller than the Teamsters, mm -hmm. but I think it's I think it's still pretty. Um, it's still it's still active. It's still around. They still have like a working yeah. website. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe just you know the the fact that the UFW was such like a historical thing uh, for like yeah. the labor movement at the time that and, it's become much more if, like open source for mm -hmm. people. Yeah, and I wonder if if the Teamsters on on their side would really want to talk about this. Probably not. 
Yeah, because I have, lot, I have in my documents finding that the teamsters and their hired workers standing beside the law enforcement and the growers. And I don't think that's a very good picture for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah I, uh, I think so as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, oh. One thing I would like to ask, uh, why would you think uh, it is important for you to like do your project for the people to um, know For mm -hmm. me, at least, you know, in, in my research, uh, one thing I was surprised was by just like the ability of the international labor movement to kind of support each other. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's, it comes from my own limited perspective of being mm -hmm. born in the year 2000, when yeah. you know by that time already labor movements were starting to more and more diminish more more places were getting if not outright you know privatized just like you know unions mm -hmm. were being dismantled and so to see the kind of resolve and uh power in a sense that unions were able to use and to whip up uh to kind of face against uh these what were essentially big conglomerates of grape growers it's impressive and it's impressive the international brotherhood that was on display i mean mm -hmm. uh i i was researching you know through some of the the new york times reporting on this as well yeah. as some of the articles from this like little this little mm -hmm. magazine um called like el malcriado it said it was the mm -hmm. official like newspaper of the united farm workers movement mm -hmm. um but the, it you know it goes in detail a little bit about you know, working with the, the UK union, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting like bishops on their side, which mm -hmm. uh, were at the time, especially uh, mm -hmm. big uh, figures in the community. And in a lot of places are still big figures in the community. But, uh, you know, the, the fraternity was so strong that uh, Cesar Chavez actually got like a, a mural from mm -hmm. the, the union in Great Britain. Yeah, interesting. I think you definitely like uh, opened up the mind. Like when, when I used to think about social movements, I only look at social movements within a country, but you are pointing out that this thing can be like internationally, correct? Yeah, and I yeah. mean, it, it makes sense in terms of combating Mm -hmm. the, these corporations, which yeah. uh, are no longer really tied down to one particular country. Mm -hmm. the, a lot of corporations are international, have headquarters in multiple nations. Yeah. And so to, to have uh, that ability to kind of confront them on all fronts is mm -hmm. extremely important for any labor movement success. Yes, I, I would believe that as well, because we are coming into the 21st century things become very different from the past yeah i, I you know especially in terms of like globalization has increased yeah, globalization yeah that's uh, the know, word i'm trying to find yes <laughs> yeah more and more you know uh, like neoliberal economies have opened up the mm -hmm. gates further and further it's harder and harder to yeah basically make any sort of you know uh you know, you want to tax this one company, but then they have shell corporations in a different company, or you try and put a fine on them here, but they have offices in different countries, so it doesn't really affect them that much. Yes, yes. I think in one of my response paper, I also talk about that. And your point is very, very interesting. Yes. And a very useful information provided. 
right? yeah and uh yeah it was mm-hmm. such, it was such an interesting way to do it too mm-hmm. because uh you know in the u.s it was mainly mainly focused around consumer boycotts mm-hmm. as they yeah. you know there, there were different anti-labor laws passed during the 60s that prevented them from like protesting grapes that like weren't directly uh, again from like a particular seller or like the seller would basically give their inventory of grapes to another company um and because it was technically another uh corporate entity um it was illegal to protest like these corporations that were working uh side by side like you can only protest like the one direct corporation Mm -hmm. whereas in the uk Mm -hmm. um you know, ostensibly the, the labor unions there had a much more, uh, had like a little more power. They had a little more grip on mm-hmm. uh, politics. And so instead of, you know, trying to do another consumer boycott there, they were able mm-hmm. to get the dock workers basically to just take the grapes off the ships mm-hmm. and then yeah. just let them sit in the harbor. <laughs> uh, you know, just basically let them rot. There's a, a couple yeah. photographs of different places mm-hmm. Um of just like these, you know, pallets of grapes, more or less just kind of like rotting on the docks because the, you know, the dock workers unions, they're like, okay, we're going to work with you guys and we are not going to move these grapes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, it was the final straw that broke the camel's back and yeah. uh, basically brought these, uh, you know, growers uh, to the bargaining table and actually got something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, are there any more things you want to talk about? Um, let me see real quick. I had a, I had a little uh, liner notes here. Yeah. Um, for you, what was the most challenging part of what you were doing? Mm, the most challenging part? Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about just like the challenge of finding information from the Teamsters. Yeah, this is uh, initially this is what I want to do, but in the end, I think I find out I don't have enough like uh, information or sources or the power to find out uh, what what are the reasons behind people making those decisions, or why are why our one union group is trying to is it they did hire people, and to attack, use violence, attack peaceful protesters on the UFW side. And when you ask this question, when I try to find an answer behind that, that is very, very difficult. And um, I think in the end, I had to change like to just presenting the, uh, what what had happened and uh, to just reveal the history and the the silence part of it. Okay. Yeah. I think there is a shift of uh, the, the ultimate goal in my project during my process of trying to find services. And so I think that is one of the challenges I'm facing. Yeah, for, for me, it was more like a, um, a lack of, again, information, just in terms of specifics. Because there's yeah. a lot of secondary sources that will, you know, speak mm-hmm. uh, briefly on the, the dock workers. But uh, mm-hmm. so far, I've only been able to find like three or four contemporary sources that actually speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're either reporting on it at the time or mm-hmm. are kind of interviewing people uh, who are there. Yeah, yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's because, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, Matt Garcia mentions how the they were able to basically get dock unions not just from the UK but from Finland, from Germany, mm-hmm. from Norway, and all these big uh, European ports to mm-hmm. you know not offload the grapes. And so mm-hmm. there's a, I'm sure there's some sources there that are unfortunately in a language I do not speak. Mm. I might be able to Google Translate them, but uh, you know we'll see if I can find them in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, for you, Ming, is mm-hmm. like after you're done with this, after you're done with your project, yeah. what do you think would be a sort of continuation further from your project? Like, if there was something else left to explore, what do you think that would be? Well, I I must say I, I'm still trying to dig more into it and trying to find more sources, and my project is not done yet, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Based on what I find out now, I would like perhaps if there were people after me that came interesting and they probably don't know about this part of history in the past and then now they do and maybe they can like develop more study into it. And I, I think uh, some in interviews, like face-to-face interviews between, uh, between the people who got involved into those protests from each side will be will be great no the, the the thing that we we don't find any like primary sources like uh from the team pinkster point of view is actually very disappointing and i i think maybe there will be people in the future like trying to do these kind of interviews and that would be great yeah i think it'd be really cool to have that mm-hmm. the, the ability to have that information that'd be yeah, amazing. It, because you, you know that this has been like how many years, 50, 60 years after that? Yeah, like you, pretty much. Your, your dad knows about that, but he doesn't really, really like care about it or like they, it doesn't bother him that much. And perhaps the people who used to participate in that who is not willing to talk and when they are like getting older and they are like, okay, I I'm, I'm, can start talking about these things, you know? And yes. that would be really nice. I absolutely think so. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is all I can think about for my project for right now. I mean, it, it sounds like a pretty interesting project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yours as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, right. um, yeah I'd, I'd love to, you know, after I'm done with this, look into more of that. The, mm-hmm. the history of the Teamsters, kind of what they yeah. were up to. Why Why is it that the, the biggest one seemingly yeah. had all this like backing from different areas? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, 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 the history of the labor movement is, you know, very complex in terms of uh, yeah. you know, how it's evolved over time, how cultures changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, especially in like the, the UK, uh, where, you know, had a strong labor movement all the way up until the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then you had, you know, the, the, the sort of introduction of what would become like neoliberalism, Margaret Thatcher. And I mean, there was, you know, fighting in the streets. There was people, people dying uh, for these labor mm-hmm. movements. And the same thing happened in the U.S. back in like the, the 20s and the, and the, in the 1910s, uh, you know, people dying uh, for these labor strikes. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to kind of draw like a long history um, you know, from like the late 1800s all the way to the present day of the labor movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah uh i think with that uh we should be good so uh thank you thank you ming for uh, talking with me today yeah and uh thank you to uh anyone who might be listening to this uh we appreciate your time and uh hope everyone has a good day thank you have a good day